Right. So now we begin the tale of the epilogues as we get to get a screenshot into at least this current arc for these young samurai's tales. For the listening audience before session, I have randomly determined the order in which I'm going to go with these, but we're going to get to see how the story for now plays out with the rest of our samurai. Yaka, so you arrive to your village and just to paint a picture for the listening audience as well as to the cast why don't you describe yaka's village so yaka's village it's it's a quaint little village it's not really small but it's not really a town so to speak but the people there are really content with their lot in life there's hardly anybody that goes hungry. The buildings are manageable. There's very few buildings that are in tatters. The guards tend to have very good relations with the civilian populace. All in all, if you're looking for a nice place to move and feel like you're going to be safe and welcome, this is the kind of village that you would picture. There's a couple of temples in in this village, and where Yaka's family is, I guess you could say somewhat of a nobility. They're not high nobility. They're like, I'll say a minor nobility. They do have a small little, not really a castle, but I can't think of the name for it. But uh, there's, outside the walls, there's just green fields. There's horses, there's cattle. You, you would look out, people working the fields, working, working the rice paddies. It just seems like a very calm place to live. And the temples, the quote-unquote Nokaze Castle, very clean, very well-maintained. All in all, just a really nice place to be. One reason why Yaka wanted to try to go to these championships was to get out of here because when you live day in and day out in a place like this, it tends to get quote-unquote boring. So Yaka just wanted to go out and see something different. Alrighty. So Yaka, as you make your way back to more perceivably your residence, you... This is going to be fun. So you are in front of your residence. And of course, this isn't usually the first time when you would come back from travels or even out in the town. Usually your residence is quite quiet, given the fact that your father is usually either in his office or out and about doing business. But no matter where you are coming from, you always have one constant with you. And as you get closer to you, the, well so to speak, the front door of your residence before you get a chance to open the tatami doors. They peel back open in a hurried fashion and standing before you is a older, more frail looking woman dressed in like the equivalent of like her moo's 
And of course, Yaka, you recognize this as your long time caregiver slash nanny slash best friends, your unofficial grandmother, so to speak, Nana. So Nana comes just rushing out of the doors and she just gives you this big old hug. She's oh, my sweet boy, you have come back. You have come back. And she just starts kissing you on the cheek. She you love her to death, but she tends to be very dramatic when it comes to a lot of things. So she's kissing you and she's hugging you. She's my boy. Come on. You, you must tell me how everything went as she not necessarily giving you a choice, but just drags you along back inside the house <laughs> and sits you at the table with some tea and some treats already prepared for you and forces you to sit in the chair a little bit. Hey, OK, I'm sitting. I'm sitting. OK, OK. And she just hurriedly scoots on over to her chair. She's like, now tell me, you must tell me. How was it? What were the people like? Did you eat anything? Well, I hope you didn't eat a lot of sweets. Where are the beds cut? And she just starts firing off all these like 50 million questions all at once. Lena, please. One question at a time. Oh, OK. I'm sorry, little Yaka. And she composes herself. And then she just goes back to rapid fire questions. <laughs> I try to answer the questions as best and as fast as I can. I let her know that I was fine. I was safe. I got plenty to eat. I didn't eat too much. The beds were comfortable enough. And then I get to the part where I meet. I, I had met some credible people. And then in, in depth, I start talking about Shodai and uh, Yo and Daidro and all of them. I just start talking about how amazing all these people were. And I also go into talk about how I have no idea, but Shodai just kept pulling food out of nowhere. And also the time, uh, I also mentioned the time that I pulled him out of the mud during the obstacle course. Oh my goodness. And so Nana intently listens to you. And for once within the span of the last 25, 30 minutes or so, she's intently listening to you and she's just watching you recount the tales. And she just smiles. And the warmth that her smile gives is not new to you, Yaka. But it is something that you always appreciate as she has looked after you since you were little. And as you kind of finish recounting your tale, Nana just looks at you and just smiles. My, my little Yaka, you have grown up so much. Where has the time gone? And she just smiles. I hope you realize she would be proud of you. Yeah, I know. And when she says that, I pull out the music box. So as you pull out the music box and put it on the table, Nana's face just light up with surprise. And after a few brief moments of registering what that is, she begins to cry a little bit. <laughs> and she just looks at you and just smiles and says, so it it's found its way back to you after all this time. And she just smiles and says, that is the last thing, or at least the last 
physical memory of your mother. And through her tears, she says, I'm so happy that you found what we, I've been looking for all these years. And she just gives you a hug. Of course, I give her a hug back. And she takes the music box and she puts it on the mantle. And she sits back down at the table. It's been kind of quiet without you, Yaka. But I'm happy that you're home. Just between you and me, though. I do believe that somebody else might be waiting for you. And as she says this, she points her head over to what is quintessentially your backyard. He's been out there for quite a bit since he got back from the city. I think you should probably go talk to him. I just kind of sit back, close my eyes, and take a deep breath. And I finally open my eyes and I say, you're right. I should go and talk to him. And with that, I'll sit up from the table. And I bow to her. Normally, I wouldn't do this because the member of the house usually doesn't bow to, quote, unquote, a house servant. But she's been so much like family my entire life. I give her a little bow, and then I hug her. I'll leave my bag sitting at the table, but the, the katana that I was given is wrapped up in a silk silk case and I'll pick that up and I'll head to the back garden. Okay. And so you head to the back garden and as you open the tatami doors, you see the surprise to you, not that he's there, but you see your father dressed more shabbily than normal. Basically he's like in his comfort clothes. He has what looks to be a little bit of a finished tea set off to his side. He's dressed in his fine silks. And he's just staring off into the topiary garden that is in the back. And as you open the doors to take in this scene, he doesn't break eye contact with the horizon line in front of him. Before he actually says anything, as I close the tatami doors behind me, before I step off of the the porch and into the garden i will i'll actually get down on my knees and bow to where the point to the point to where my forehead is actually touching the ground because even though he is my father he's still still the lord of the castle and i just wait to be received so as you do all this again without breaking the his stare off into the distance he's your father just, come, my boy, sit next to me for a while. And then I'll get up from my bow. I'll grab my, my katana that I was given, and I'll go and I'll sit with him in the garden. So as you nestle up near your father and sit next to him, you both look off into the topiary, and your father just says to you, and I see that you were successful. Becoming a samurai. Much congratulations to you, my son. Thank you, father. And I'll take the silk cover off of my katana and scabbard and all, I hand it over to him. Not, not making eye contact, just lowering my head just a little and then 
passing the katana over to so as to be inspected, I guess you can say. As you go to give your father the katana, he just puts his hand up towards you and says, No, my son, you have earned this, and you no longer need my approval or my permission. And he, for the first time in what seems like a very long time, you see your father gently smile. And he looks directly at you as you are holding the katana. When your mother passed, it was hard for me. But I never truly understood how hard it was for you. Being so young and losing. And for a time, I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to lead you in the right direction. And that's why I had your Uncle Iki guy take charge of you and show you you around the world because I felt inadequate to do so. But I was wrong. Your mother's spirit burns bright within you. And I've heard of all the things you managed to accomplish, even saving one of your friends from some other Lion Clan boys that were besmirching the name. And he just set the ground. Yanka, I know I haven't always been the best parental figure. In fact, I always relied on your mother to be the strong one. She was the strongest between me and her. But I want you to know this, and I truly mean this. And with the tears falling from his face, I want you to know I'm so proud of you. From where you have started... To wherever you ended up, you have grown so much, and I am honored to be the father of somebody so gentle, yet fierce in where they stand and how they put themselves on the line for those that they care about. And he just leans in and gives you a hug and just begins to cry a little bit as he embraces you in his arms. Oh, so does Yaka. Like, this is the first time Yaka's ever shed tears in front of his father. And as the two of you continue to just spend time in this moment, Yaka, for you, the last three days have been a very interesting journey for you in all aspects. This shy, insecure, of doubt little boy that arrived at the Topaz Championship all those days ago has left and become somebody full of strength and a better understanding of who they are though only time will tell how you cultivate this newfound strength but with the road of healing finally beginning truly and it's no longer just a facade Yaka, your tale is only getting started, and the rest of it will be interesting to see how that plays out. So, we are going to cut over to... <laughs> oh, no problem. As the camera is pulling away, while Yaka and his dad are hugging, there's a, gen- there's a warm, gentle breeze that comes through the garden. And a single cherry blossom comes out of the tree 
and lands on the table where the tea set is at. And Yaka's mother always had a hairpin that had cherry blossom on it. Nope, I'm going to hold it until the very end. (laughs) So as the camera kind of pans out from that moment, we cut over to the Unicorn Clan. Shodai, you arrive back home. Why don't you describe your village for everybody for me, please? Okay, so the Unicorn Clan was a clan that actually disappeared from Rokugan for many years, and they wandered the steppes and wastelands outside of Rokugan. And in those years, and then when they came back, they learned a lot from outsiders, a lot from Gaijin. Unlike any of the any of the other other clans of Rokugan, the Unicorn Clan, they don't they don't really have fixed buildings. They don't really have like big towns or anything like that. I guess you could say they they they're like tribal. They they move often. They have yurts. They have that they live in. At least showed a family, his clan that he comes from. It's a big conglomeration of yurts, right? And as he is nomadic, yes, they are nomadic people. And as he is coming up the path out to this open grassland where a few miles to the north you see the you see the steps of the northwestern mountains of Rokugan to the east one of in a, a few miles away one of the bigger lakes you see a herd of wild horses that is galloping and flanking either side of this herd is our two female riders who are the uh, the battle maidens of the unicorn clan and by note to future Mike, when editing, please edit this out. It's all good. Don't worry. Stand by, stand by. Yeah, Uta- the Utaku battle maintenance and the Utaku mounted infantry. The, so this herd, and for editing purposes, in three, two, one. So this herd of horses is beset on one side and another side by one Utaku battle maiden and another Utaku battle maiden that is herding these horses. And as the one looks down the path that Shodai is coming up, she sees Shodai and she stops her horse and the horse rears up on its, on its hind legs and she lets go this tribal cry, which echoes off the, which echoes across the, this vast field. And then it's picked up by someone further down the line and you hear this, this tribal cry from a new person. And then again and again, it's kind of, kind of like in Lady and the Tramp when they do the dog, the great dog call or the dog, they howl at the moon and like the next dog that hears it down the line, they like pass it on. This is the kind of thing that, that, that is going on. Shodai returns back to his home and uh, there's seven yurts all of different sizes. There's setups for 
for everything that, that you would need for everyday living. However, since they are nomadic people, a lot of the setup is made so that it can break down and they can go if need be. As he walks into town or into his village, the dress of his fellow townsfolk is actually really different. No one's wearing a kimono. No one's wearing a kimono. They're all wearing more like Mongolian or like Northern Japanese uh, tribes where they're wearing like furs and, and skins and whatnot. Every every now and again, you'll see individuals that have kimonos, but much Shodai's kimono, the kimonos are very patchwork and sewn together. And you can tell that they've been around a long time because they've had rips like slapped together or slapped fixed by like patches of pieces of material that don't match. But it's a very, the air is very jovial and not... Not just because Shodai's back. To be honest, it's not that most people ignore Shodai as he's returning. They're like, oh, hey, yeah, there's Shodai. And they go back to their everyday, but it just, it's a very jovial feeling. Joda, Shodai walks over to his family's and he goes to the front of the yurt where the doorway is. And there's a, there's a animal skin that's that serves as the door. He pulls it to the side and, and enters. And uh, right away, Shodai's little sister, out of nowhere, just like linebacker tackles him onto the floor. It's like, Shodai, you're back. What did you bring me? Did you bring me anything good? Did you bring me any candy? City candy? Give me that sugar. And, and she's totally just like in his face. What did you bring me? To which is older sister comes walking in and she was one of those utaku battle maidens that was out on the plane and uh, she has her she has her armor on and she's like really and she picks up the little sister by like the back of the shirt kind of kind of like a toy puppy toy like toy dog owners do with their puppies picks them up like they're on a handle and and the little sister's I want my thing. I want my thing. And Shodai's sister, she strides into the yurt and uh, she's welcome back there, fancy pants. And Shodai's like, I'm, I am not, where did my fan pants get fancy? And she, she hands, Shodai's older sister hands his younger sister a water skin. And the younger sister takes the water skin, kind of like sits and kind of like a kid receiving a juice box, sits down, starts drinking from this water skin. Shodai's older sister turns to Shodai and just motions at the katana that was received, which is still wrapped up in its silk. And then she, her finger goes from pointing to the katana and then in one motion like points at his headband, which he got as a gift. And... His sister looks pretty, pretty fancy there. And Shoda is like, Shoda is like, this was a, he motions to the headband. This is a gift from a very good friend. Thank you very much. And his sister's like, okay, whatever. Giving him, just giving him a little bit of, a little bit of sisterly love rub. From one of the, your is compartmentalized. And from one of the compartments, Shoda's mother comes out and and she helps Shodai up and gives him a hug, a hug and a kiss. Something else that's very different, instead of bowing, gives the Eskimo like forehead to forehead greeting. 
in this village. And Shodai's mom gives him, uh, gives him a big hug and a kiss and gives him a forehead and forehead. And I was very worried about you, my son. Uh, and your father was too. He's out fishing right now, but he'll be home soon. One thing to note, though, about Shodai is that the rest of his family definitely has that they all look like they are related. Shodai does not. As a matter of fact, Shodai looks very gaijin he looks very for lack of a better term Europe, european as opposed to looking asian and despite that though his family he goes he sits down to his he sits down with his family and they're acting like a family does his sister his little sister keeps trying to like climb on top of him and keeps like looking into all the secret like spots where he has where he would keep his pocket onigiris and try to pull one out. And he'd be like, no. And, uh, and uh, his older sister just starts recounting to him the things that he's missed in the three days that, that he's been gone and jokes with him that now, now that you're a samurai, you can actually come ride with me and maybe we can actually go get in a fight or something like that. And Shodai's mom just really quickly is like, oh, don't speak like that. I don't want any of you fighting with anyone when she's bringing out food. It's not a lot of food. It's not plate after plate. It's a very, very small amounts of food, but they are, they're made with love. Each little bit of food that's brought out is made with love. And yeah, after he, sp he spends some time with his mom and his sisters, he uh, he excuses himself and uh, he goes into his room, which it's it, he still it's a compartment of the yurt that he shares with his older sister and his younger sister, but that's like his room. And he goes to that area and just starts taking off his kimono, and he very reverently he sets the the katana in a spot. He lays it down with a lot of care. When he takes the headband off, he takes that off and folds it very delicately and lays it with a lot of care. And then he he lays down. He lays down for a minute and and then he like exits his room, exits his room, and he like calls as he starts to head out the yurt. And he calls to his mom, "Hey, mama, I'm I'll be back. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go sleep outside." And to which Shodai's mom is, "Okay, go ahead." This is a common occurrence. Dodai goes out a little bit away from the village to this clearing that he, it's kind of like his area. There's the grass. It actually gives way to moss. There's a rock there, but the rock is a very, it's very spherical and very, it has, all the sides are very clean. It's almost as if it was tumbled in like a machine or it's it has spun in 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 a river or something like that but it's uh, it's very clean and that the stone is like a white color and uh, shodai will proceed to lay down in the moss and just think about his friends and start to say a prayer out into the winds for his friends that they may make it to their homes safely and that they will meet sooner rather than later and as he says this uh, this prayer breeze picks up and picks the prayers up and takes it out into rokugan that was very lovely <laughs> shodai your journey has been 
your journey has also been a roller coaster of things. The one thing that has never changed is the lighthearted nature that you have approached everything, given the tasks and things like that. But it's because of that lighthearted nature that your biggest strength comes from being able to think of others and to be that support, whether they know about it or not. And as the prayers pick up and spread throughout all of Rokugan, you start to wonder, too, how your story is going to play out, especially given that you had a brief little bit of a memory of your birth mother through the card you found not too long ago in your room. So what exactly all that means and how that plays into your story, only time will tell to see how these two divergent paths will intertwine into one another. So as we cut to the camera there, you arrive at your village. Why don't you describe what your village looks like? Dadoro would be coming in. The camera kind of looks, looks towards a quaint little, like, village. There's a couple rice paddies. There's plenty of farmland, as far as the eye can see. But Dadoro keeps pushing past this farmland and these small houses and huts and starts coming up to a great wall. And as he weasels his way in into this wall, it's like a small little city bustling around. People are running left and right. Dado has to do a little dodge and shimmy past people. But he eventually comes a uh, break into this and tucked away is a residential-ish kind of area. And Dadoro would come to his home and give a nice, proud knock before he enters. And he announces himself, waiting to see if anybody's home or... So, Dadoro, <laughs> as you your house, the tatami doors standing before you swing open... And you are met with quite a surprise. <laughs> you, oh, the door opens up and it's not your folks. It's not your siblings. But standing in front of you is your one and only betrothed. <laughs> and she's going to oh, go, go ahead. No, you go ahead. She just looks at you and she just gives you a smile and she just says, welcome home. And she just smiles with her arms crossed at you. He drops all his things and just goes in for the biggest hug. Literally lifting her up off her feet and like spinning around. No, knowing it's been three days, but to him it's been an eternity. It's an embrace he's been longing for. Of course, waiting for his parents, but he swings around, jumps a little bit. He starts to go straight into the experiences he's had. He talks about the things he's seen and the people he've met. He goes on to talking about Shodai's secret compartments of various foods and Mio Kaito's little flourishing love and how he admires admires their love language and goes on to the valorantness of Yaka and even squeezes a little bit of detail with about Ikigai and his 
mischievous little ways and how he got startled and stuff. He just goes on and on and halfway through his conversation, he stops and looks at her. He goes, a lot has happened in three days. Feels like it's been months. How has it been at home without me? How are my parents? <laughs> she lets out a little jovial laugh. Everything's fine. They're doing good. Same old. I've been making sure to keep them busy so they don't constantly miss you. It's only been three days, but you know how they are. But, and she eyes your katana. It seems that you completed what you set out to do. At least for that anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I almost forgot. He kind of grabs in, unsheathes it just a little bit to look at the blade. It's a little messy on the craftsmanship, but katana is a katana. And a oh, samurai. no doubt. <laughs> oh, yeah. The samurai is what really makes the blade. And she just smiles. Prob- you're probably going to want to make this stronger. I already know you. Oh, yeah. But have a, a more important blade. I made a promise to a friend. Don't laugh. I have to make a really nice kitchen knife for him. The first thing I promised him. It's the first promise I've ever made. Probably to anybody other than you. And I seek to fulfill that. So before you lose me to the forges and the fires and all. I just wanted to tell you that the one thing I haven't been able to tell you the last three days. I love you. I'm happy to see you again. And she just walks over to you and she kisses you on the forehead. I've missed you too. And she just embraces you a little bit. And then within this silence, nothing is being said. But the silence speaks volumes. Even though it was only three days. You are connected and you can each feel the other's heart beat in rhythm with yours. You just allow the silence to hold on to you both as you just enjoy your company. With that, after a few moments, while still in your embrace. So, I am very curious to know what have you decided your path shall be? What does the f- fires of the forge truly mean to you? Dado's look at her and chuckle. I really thought I had it all together and I had it all figured out. And, but I'm not truly sure anymore. Just like the fire and the metal that we use, it's ever changing, melded into different things. A piece of iron isn't. Forged into just blades and weaponry, but can be forged into cooking utensils or beautiful jewelry. And he chuckles to himself. I guess what I'm trying to say is, like the metal, I must be ready to be able to change at a moment's whim. Be able to shape myself to handle any kind of adversary adversity in any way i have to be tempered like the steel and harden my nerves that's what i took away from that she kind of just smiles at you 
and says, that's the Daidoro I fell in love with. And just kisses you again on the forehead. You're so cheesy sometimes. Eh, that's what you like about me. <laughs> and she just chuckles. Now then, now that you're home, and she gives like this overdramatic curtsy. Now that you're home, Master Samurai, maybe you can help me get the dinner ready. He rolls his eyes. I can do dinner by myself. I have this killer recipe for onigiri. <laughs> and he stands up and the camera pans out a little bit and just shows the commotion into the house and how they're cooking and their nonsense and pans out further and sees the city and the wall and all its inner workings. And yeah, little this journey for you has been very telling. And as you told your betrothed, the path to your ultimate desire to be the master of the forges is not so clear as you thought it would be. Of course, at a given notice, you may have to change and be molded into what the situation requires. However, it's because of a few individuals that you met over the last three days. That helped you realize that honing and making a blade in the forge can be a singular job. But it is with the refinement and the second, third, and sometimes sixth, seventh pairs of eyes that kind of aid in that process to bring out the true potential of a bladed weapon. And while you are still within the beginning stages of this journey, you get the sense that with the constant refinement and your will being forged underneath the bonds that you have made, you yourself will be sharpened and can be wielded to bring so much potential to the world. So the camera cuts over to Mio, Kaito, and Himiko. As the three of you have finally, after quite a bit of time, have made your way back to your village. Uh, this is going to be interesting. So I'm going to let you tag team this. So what does the village of the Phoenix clan look for you two? Village is actually, I don't think it's necessarily a village. I think it's actually a town. Like, I think we actually come from a town. It's both coastal and mountainous. So the town is up on multiple levels. As you come from the bay or the harbor, you come up into the city, up into the town, and there's like buildings up on multiple levels through up into the mountains. His family lives on like one of the middle areas in between, not in between, but it's probably closer to the coastal area. Where his grandparents' house is. Whereas Kaito's home is much more closer to grassland, part of the area. Not really too... It is within the city, close by. But there is a road by his home about three buildings down. With dirt road leads out to a bridge over a river. 
out to open grassland where nearby there is a singular cherry blossom, which you could tell is interesting because if you look around the grass around the tree, while there is no actual path there, it does look heavily walked upon. And Mio knows this because he knows this as Kaito's escape tree, where he can be found pacing around it several times as he does a walking meditation. In his home, he made sure to have the window out to that tree to view from his bedroom. And I'm pretty sure Himiko's family is probably up in the upper tier where all the rich, bitchy snobs live. I think Mia's family would be considered middle class or maybe a little upper middle because they are kind of like town politics. But I believe the Shiba are much lower near the bottom of everything. Ooh boy, here we go. <laughs> and so as the three of you as the three of you are about to head to your respective ha- of residences, you three hear commotion coming from the direction of those residents. And as you approach Before you can get any closer, you just see the doors just swing open and leaving in a huff is everybody's favorite father to Himiko just storming out of the house, just in a huff and a puff, looking very undignified at this point as he just walks away. Doesn't even acknowledge that the three of you are there, doesn't see you and just walks off towards the distance back towards the more upper echelons of the town and a second pitter-patter of footsteps come towards the door as you see an elderly gentleman dressed in the phoenix clan colors just looking in the direction that himiko's father walked off in and just smiling and then turns to you three and says ah the three of you have returned mio you know this to be your grandfather Oh, yeah. Not going to lie. Mia's going to have a little bit of a smirk on his face. Because he knows that his, what is what probably he probably knows what just transpired in the house. So. He will <clears throat> respectfully walk up to his grandfather and bow. And once they the formalities are out of the way, he will run and embrace him. Of course. Your grandfather returns the favor eagerly and gives you a big hug. Ah, my little Mio. My, my, have you and... As he looks over to Kaito and Himiko, you three always seem to find yourself at the center of his ire. And he kind of leans in and whispers, let's keep it that way. (laughs) And just gives a little chuckle. I'll certainly try. As he says that, he's, Kaito just looks at us like, almost like we never left, huh? Yeah, it's never a dull moment with you three, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Come inside. Let's, I would love to hear more about your journey. And just ushers you three to come inside. First thing I'll do is Amiya will go and fix tea for everyone. 
and some little sort of sweet buns and bring them into the family room, setting up, setting them up around the table. And he will kneel down and he will begin to pour the tea. So as this kind of conversation happens, you both of you, along with Himiko, kind of regale in the last three days, the different tests that you faced, the banquet, the amount of time the three of you spent together, as well as mentioning the other friends that you met during your journey. Mio, I have a question. Do you tell your grandfather about your newfound relationship? Absolutely. Without hesitation. Because his grandparents, because his parents are no longer alive. Yeah. They are, but they're not. But anyway, his grandparents basically raised him. And they're very forward-thinking people. And before Mio went to the ter- the academy, the tournament, he told his grandfather that he had feelings for Kaito. He told him flat out. And because he was trying to get some clarification, because he's he didn't believe that he should feel that way. <laughs> and he basically told, just for some backstory, he basically told Mio that the way Mio feels about Kato is the same way that he felt when he met my grandmother. It was as if the very air, like the air left the room when, they, when she walked in. She could barely breathe and their souls instantly connected. And he basically says, you love him. That's why you feel this way. <laughs> and... Mio was very much, but we're both boys. That can't work. How does that? And he was, his grandfather told him it's because the spirits have made it. And he said that you're blessed by the spirits, basically to love beyond yourself and anyone else. And that you have to love who you love and to do whatever, not to do whatever, sorry, and to do otherwise would be like an insult to the spirits <clears throat> because love is a gift. And if it's given to you, you, you take it, you don't question it, you don't. And so that's the reason. And I don't even think Kate could is this. This is the reason that Mio went to the Academy is so that he could basically keep a protective eye on him and be close to him as possible. So he tells his grandfather what happened and he will regale the story. I mean, with precision and beautiful detail. When the end with a big smile on his face the whole time he's telling it. Super proud. Very like he's very he stands shoulders high and tell professes of his love and how much he has grown as a person by expressing that love outwardly. So instead of keeping it inside, and he'll talk about the noodles and the whole thing and with flappy tears in his eyes. And then he'll literally, he literally will scoot around the table to be next to him and hold his hand at the table. And as you scoot around Kaito, you can see Kaito blushing because you know, he feels the same way. And it's also just so adorable watching you tell this story, how happy you are. And yeah, he's just 
with a big smile on his face, cheeks red, listening intently. And so as Mio, you finish the regaling in this tale and just the overload of the cuteness, your grandfather looks, Mio, your grandfather looks at Kaito and just gets serious for a little bit, but like a jokingly seriously said, you better treat my grandson very well. Because if you and just jokes and says, I'll be watching to make sure you treat him right. And just laughs. You see Kaito just stands up and starts like bowing profusely. Like he knows his grandfather's kind of in the laughy joking sense. So he's trying to be formal in that same kind of sense. Like being all dorky with it. So as you guys kind of wind down the conversation, Mio, your grandfather just looks at you two and takes your hands and brings it in closer to his. And then he also ushers Himiko to come on over and he takes her hand and kind of connects the three of you together. He clasps his hands over you, all three of yours and looks at each and every one and looks at you three. And of course, Mio, you're used to your grandfather having his wisdom moments, so to speak. But this one feels a little bit different, not in a sense of a negative kind of oppressive way. But addressing you and Kaito and Himiko on a level that is equal to that of an adult, so to speak. <laughs> now that you three are official samurai, he is speaking to you on an equal level and not just his grandson and his friends. And so he looks at the three of you. And he just smiles, takes a deep breath in. The three of you have always been my pride and joy. Mio, you are my grandson. And watching you from such a young age to the man you are now, I cannot be any more prouder of you, especially for looking out for your friends. And you've stuck with them all your life. And never abandon them. You, my boy, have a strong heart. And looking at you, Kaito, and you, my boy, I know that where you are from and your family name, to some, they look down at you. But I'm very proud of you, Kaito. To see you continue to fight against it and to continue to strive to be what you want. And you too, Himiko. You are in a position that very few find themselves in. And you could have easily resigned to a life of luxury given your family status. But you chose to go out into the world with these two and the three of you to make a name for yourselves. Looking at the three of you, I would be remiss if I wouldn't say that the world is going to challenge you. And you may encounter people that aren't ready for this kind of change. But I want you three to understand that within each of you, you have a heart that beats strong. And that love of friendship and newfound romance as he chides to you, Mio and Kaito, you will be tested 
And sometimes it will feel that the wall you're trying to break through has no opening. But it is when you find yourself in that situation that the three of you keep banging on that wall until it comes crumbling down and the light to a bright future shines through. And he just smiles. Please never forget that. And I will do what I can as long as I draw breath to make sure that you three get the chance to reach your dreams and that you could accomplish everything that you set out to want and just pulls the three of you in for a hug. Mio and Kaito, to a certain extent, your journey through the last couple of days have been a roller coaster, to say the least. From finding that confidence to get through the trials, to taking a giant step forward, and to become vulnerable and express the feelings that you have for one another, and to explore to see where this relationship goes. And even amongst the more harrowing times, the three of you have stuck by each other, and your bond is stronger than ever. And just like you promised all those years ago when you were little, the three of you, together, thick as thieves, can overcome any obstacle that life throws your way. It's going to get difficult from here on out. Because the world is not too kind to change and tries to be resistant. But with time, I believe the three of you will be able to finally crack through that wall and to come out the other side to a brighter future easily. So long as you remain true to who you are. The camera cuts one more time. And funny enough, it cuts to a very familiar adult figure. Looking over at the horizon line, we find ourselves with Uncle Ikigai. Ikigai, I'm going to let you narrate this part for you. So as you're looking at the horizon line, what is on your mind? Sitting in a rundown shrine on his way to greener pastures, less scrutiny, and a more understanding clientele. Ikigai is wearing road clothes. By his sides, he has his, his Daishu and his Yumi. And he's thinking back over the last three days. What interesting kids become samurai these, these days. Back when he did it, he was a mere boy of ten. The runt of the litter. And now they're, they grow older by the years, which is a good thing. More mature, less warlike, hopefully a little bit more intelligent. Maybe they do, do choose better things for themselves. In any case, they are samurai. And samurai find trouble. And trouble there will be. So, as you all back at home, going throughout your day, the rest of your time for the day, 
you all think back on the journey that you have encountered so far. What started as just a visit for the chance to become a full-fledged samurai has turned to a learning experience that no one could have ever imagined. New discoveries were found, confidences were boosted, some love was found, and it was through these last three days that all of you have become a lot stronger and more capable of things than you initially thought. The world of Rokugan is at the tipping point, a new dawn, if you will. And with the future having yet to be decided, time will tell if you seven, working under the tutelage of the Emerald Champion, will actually get to enact the change you wish to see and to be able to change the world on its head. But that is a tale for another time. And with that, we are going to conclude season one right here. Aw, shit. <laughs> so, for the very last time, thank you so much for tuning in to Furusato, a Legend of the Five Rings actual play podcast. When we come back, we will be having a season one fireside where we just regale in the, this whole entire season. And we give our final thoughts before we put season one to bed. But until then, this has been Mikey, your storyteller. I truly mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you all for tuning into this beautiful story. And I look forward to seeing it continue down the line. But until then, remember, take care of each other. Love one another. And as always, let the good times roll and catch you up at the fireside. Laters.